Thank you, guys. Um, I want to read to you a bit out of this good book called the Bible. (coughs) And it's from the Gospel of Luke. Which, if you go down the, the middle of your Bible and turn right, you're bound to hit eventually, just past Mark. I'm going to read to you from Luke chapter 12, verses 1 to 12. very reflective bunch. (laughs) Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples, saying, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, Jesus says, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, But anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. When you are brought before synagogues, rulers and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. That's a tough one, isn't it? This passage. It's a tough one. Jesus is, you know, we're seeing a side to him that can be difficult to grapple with. Let me tell you what I think is going on in this story. I think that Jesus is talking to two groups of people. He's taking advantage of the audience that he has on the day. And one group of people are his disciples, these apostles who've been following him. And I think Jesus probably had some idea. I don't know how much he knew about what was going to happen to him on the cross, but I think he had a clear idea of what was coming for him. His disciples weren't quite there yet. There's another group that's there that he's talking to, these these Pharisees. Now, I just want to take that title, and I just want to park it for a second. And I'm going to refer to this group as a group of folks, a group of men in this case, who are the gatekeepers of faith. 
in the Jewish tradition. They were the gatekeepers of faith. What do I mean by that? Well, what I mean is in their interpretation of the law, which they took very seriously, they took it upon themselves to decide who is in and who is out. It was up to the Pharisees to come up with interpretations and regulations based on the law, the law that gone all the way back to Moses. And so in some ways you could say they were doing their level best to help the nation of Israel lead faithful lives. But something happened along the way. We see this wrinkle in their ministry, in the Pharisees' ministry, that Jesus is really, really focusing on. Because actually I think what's happening is not a Pharisee thing, it's a human thing. And that human thing is this. When we're put in positions of authority, wherever that might be, whether it's the church or, or in society, we sometimes assume this responsibility that I think God doesn't actually give us. And the responsibility is to determine who's in and who's out and where the fine lines are, who's following the law and who isn't. And what Jesus uncovers in his ministry is that however it happened and however they wound up there, these interpretations of the law were actually preventing people from coming to him, their Savior. Which is ironic. Because the Jewish faith up to this point had prophesied about a Messiah, about a Savior in Jesus, is this Messiah. And it seems as if they'd gotten so caught up in their earthly job, their job of determining the rules and interpreting regulations that I think they lost track of the people. And I think the harsh words in this story are for some of these people. Now, I said let's park the term Pharisee. And the reason I said that is that it's quite easy to do in our present context to say, well, this was a group of folks that doesn't exist anymore. It's a historical phenomenon that's found in history, but we don't have this today. And unfortunately, I think we do have it. I think there's a little bit of Pharisee in each of us. It's a human thing. If you look at what sociologists do, what sociologists study, what they study is how human, human beings group themselves, how they identify themselves. And we find it ever so necessary in life to create groups for ourselves. Well, I belong to, to this. And th this is me. These are my, these are my, this is where I stand on this. And this is where I stand on that. And, and because I'm in this group, I'm not in that group. And actually, we are, we are diametrically opposed, my group and that group. Haven't we seen all too much of that lately? We are diametrically opposed because, because I'm right and my group is right, which means clearly that group is wrong. And so I've asked us to park the term Pharisee because I think actually it just describes what it means to be human sometimes. Now, that can be a human trait. 
But there's another side of being human. There's a side of being human that is made in the image of God. And I think that Jesus, in his harsh moments, and he's really clear and he's absolutely right when he says, I'm the way and the the truth and the life. And he says, if you disown me, you place yourself outside of God's grace. You place yourself outside of the light, outside of the truth. And how often sometimes is it folks like myself that need to hear that message? The church leaders need to hear that message. How radical is our grace? How radical is our love? Jesus has a radical imagination of what his kingdom looks like. How dare I put walls around it and close the door? One of the challenging things about stepping into Jesus' love is that At times, it doesn't look very glorious. It's not interested in self-preservation or self-promotion. It is intensely disinterested in self-defense. We struggle with that. How can we be part of a faith that's not about self-promotion? Because we worship a God who bled out on an old wooden cross set up on a rubbish heap outside a city. This is a God who's chosen not to lead with armies of soldiers but with armies of orphans and widows and outcasts. Of diseased and unwanted and unloved people, he builds his armies. And he gives them weapons that are not like the ones that we know. They are weapons of grace and love and mercy. And with these things, we know him. And I have no doubt that each of us in our life has been met by one of these people, the great army of God's love, who stepped into our lives and helped us in times of need, in times of trouble, even when we felt like we didn't deserve it, or maybe weren't even looking for it. How I believe he has sent his army after us. A great army of radical love that says Jesus will not settle to be neutral. Jesus is not Switzerland. He doesn't tolerate all things for all people. And the reason that sounds harsh is because the message that we're given by the world is that tolerance is this great value. Do you know what tolerance means? 
in the Middle Ages, tolerance was a measure of how much poison you could ingest without dying. Jesus does not love like that. Jesus is wholly disinterested in tolerance. He wants people to be all in, all the time. And that is so hard for the world to believe. It's so hard for the world to accept that Jesus has to go to the very bottoms of our society and take folks we wouldn't dream of speaking to, grabbing a hold on them and never letting go and saying, I love you. I love you to the ends of the earth. I love you on that cross to the point of death. I love you in pain and in crucifixion, and I love you into the resurrection, and there is nothing that will stand in the way of that love. And you know, sometimes we need to see that in the world in order to be shocked, to be utterly shocked, to be set back, dismayed and offended that the love of Jesus isn't more respectable but oh, he's on a mission. And he's coming after your heart. And there's folks out there that he's preparing to bring in. And he's after their hearts. As have many of you, I have also been watching closely what has been developing in Ukraine and Russia. Like you, I have been affected by what I see and hear. And I think that there's a reason that it has hit so close to home for so many of us. I think that we are a nation traumatized. I think we are a nation traumatized by loss and by suffering. I think that even though in many ways we have returned to some kind of normalcy, we are still counting the cost of having come through a pandemic. We're counting the cost of our losses, whatever they may be. And so when we see things in the world that go horribly wrong, I'm preparing you, it's going to hit close to home. It may make you stagger. Now, having been a journalist and having been a war correspondent, I can tell you that certain stories sell copy. That's not a cynical thing to say. I'm just here to say that editors prefer some kinds of stories over others. Now, the stories that sell copy are the stories that talk about great evil. Great evil's done. Huge disparities and injustices. And I'm not saying those things aren't there. Please don't mishear me. What I do want to encourage you to do is to look closely for the gospel story. And you won't always get this in a newspaper. In fact, you may not ever get it in a newspaper. The story of the church stands in opposition to the newspaper headlines. There has been much reason to feel discouraged about Ukraine. To feel like the world is coming apart at the seams. How many times do we do this in the history of humanity? 
And yet we refuse to see the golden thread of the gospel weaving its way through this story as horrible as it is. One of my colleagues, a pastor here in Bath, shared with me and some others about the first-hand reports that he's getting from pastor friends in Ukraine and Poland. Ruth, you can back this up because you've heard the same. Of churches that are being planted in that country in the midst of a war and being filled by the thousands. Do you know how many conferences and seminars and training programs there are for church planting just in this country? And it is still a struggle. You talk to a church planter and, my goodness, it sounds horrendous, the cost. Everything that they have to do just to get their church plant to survive. There's plans how to get through the first 24 months. Warnings about emotional breakdown. Budgets imploding. And Jesus plants a church in a war-torn country and it explodes. And people are getting healed. Refugees are flooding in. And do you know what they're doing, these churches? In many cases, the administration has left because it's not safe to work. But the congregation and the pastors carry on doing ministry. They enter into the suffering of the people there. They feed and house refugees. They defy what the war is about, which is creating sides. They defy it in the name of Jesus, and that's what we need to be about. We don't <coughs> tolerate division. We will not tolerate division in the name of Jesus. Because in the refusal to tolerate, in that Holy Spirit space, God steps in and does quite amazing stuff. How many stories have you heard, as have I, from pastors about refugees trying to get across the border, trying to escape the violence, and some random soldier steps out, unknown by anyone, and beckons them to safety? How many lorries of aid have been stuck in queues and some unknown person comes out and says, right this way, and they go straight across the border? How many families have been evacuated? And how many people have stayed simply because Jesus has asked them to? Why? To build his church. And so Jesus is engaged in a war of sorts. He's engaged in a war here in the Gospel of Luke. He's engaged in a war in Ukraine. And he's refusing to use human weapons. He's taken on the weapons of love and grace and humility and suffering. And you know what? It's working. The fruit is there. Churches are being planted. People are being saved. Jesus gets his way. So, to encourage you, 
Seek after him in every part of your life and the life of this world. What do I mean by that? I mean I'm asking you to spend part of every day in the Word, in the Bible, reading Scripture. Part of every day dedicated to prayer. We can do this. And this is where it starts. Will you stand with me and commit to reading the Word every day? I don't care if it's on an app on your phone or if it's out of a book. I don't mind. If it's verses of Scripture, it's the Word of God. And will you commit to praying every day over this world and over your own life and over others? This is where the revolution starts. Because when we commit to that, not only will this church be transformed, but all those boundary walls, all those divisions, all that tolerance will disappear. And the great intolerant love of Jesus Christ, which refuses to be neutral, will invade this whole world and your life and mine. Amen.